Hi, I'm Mike Everstreet. I am the Growth Group Director here, and I am really excited to get to talk to you guys today. We, oh, I'll get shout outs. So affirming. <laughs> um, today we're going to be going through uh, the, the fourth commandment of our series. And we've been looking at these 10 commandments, not as like a rules or this do's and don'ts list, but we've been looking at them as an invitation into a way of being in the world, in a way that God intends, right? And the one we're going to go through today is both the most observed and the most forgotten of the bunch, which is a very odd little paradox. And it's called the Sabbath. In fact, it's what we do here on Sunday to a degree. And, and that's what we're going to talk about. And if you don't know me, I actually walked away from the church in my early teens. Um, walked away from Christianity, said goodbye, and I came back in my early 20s. And because of that, I missed out on that prime Christian information that makes so much of what we do here on Sunday make any sense to anybody. For example, I remember when I came back in my early 20s and I came to E3 and I heard the phrase, get washed in the blood of the lamb for the first time, which is a very bizarre thing. You guys can acknowledge that, right? <laughs> if you didn't grow up around that language, like why would I want to do that? That's a bizarre thing. And the other one was this, this Sunday experience, right? Like I knew Christians loved Sunday, but I didn't really know why. And I kind of was left to piece that together from like American culture, which is the worst thing you could ever do about most things. <laughs> so I knew to some degree it was a, you go to church for like an hour on Sunday, right? But I knew there were some Christians who went for more and they're weird. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that um, you watch football. So I assumed that was in the Bible because every Christian I knew went from straight from church to the television. <laughs> um, I knew that Chick-fil-A was closed, so it had something to do with bad business practice. And then I knew, and this was the most important to me in college, I'm going to confess this, that it was about telling people how they can't have fun. Um, I went to school in Alachua at the University of Florida, Go Gators. And as many of you who grew up in the South know, you couldn't buy liquor on Sunday. So I was like, cool, I don't even believe in your God, but you can tell me what to do. That's a lot of fun. And that was, that was kind of it. And then I pulled together these other like, little things along the way. Like, did you know that until 1985, you could not buy pots, pans, and washing machines on Sunday? Oh, yeah. And there are still 13 states today that you can't buy, sell, or trade automobiles on a Sunday, because that's in the Bible, yo. <laughs> and my favorite one, I found this looking at old newsprint. <laughs> baseball is a menace. <laughs> we have to stand up against baseball. And as like a non-believer, this was like all that this whole Sunday thing was to me. It was like this list of rules that I had to follow for why, I don't know. And that was it, right? And I was convinced when I got back to church, everyone was going to understand it and be able to explain it to me. And uh, that's not true. <laughs> In fact, most everyone I met had the same kind of general knowledge. We know that it's the Lord's Day. That's probably in the Bible somewhere. We know that it's supposed to be something with church. And there were some other just agreed upon things that people did, but the all-important why of it eluded me. And it's actually really funny because I started reading the Bible and I found this thing in the Ten Commandments. And if you don't understand the why of it, and you see that the day of rest is on the same list as murder, adultery, idolatry, <laughs> and like, you know, human issues, it feels absurd, right? Like, how is taking a day off on Sunday the same as not murdering people? And this is what happens when we have traditions that we just start to assume, right? We do them so much that we forget the meaning of them. We forget what they were intended 
to do. And I think that's what happens with the Sabbath. You see, so often we've done it so much that we've lost sight of the purpose. And that's what we want to talk about today. I want to talk about the why. Why Sunday? Why Sabbath? And I want to at least plant in your heads that it has something to do with the all-important issue of time. You know, I don't, know how to, I don't want to spoil this for people, but we're all going to die. Our time is limited, so how we use it matters. It shapes us, right? If you want to be better at running, you spend time running. If you want to be better at X, Y, or Z, you spend time doing it. So how we use time is crucial to who we are as people. And that's going to have to do with where we're going. But before we get into the why, we should talk about the what. And we're going to start with the Ten Commandments, because that is the series we're in. Um, I did it, Pastor Eric, you're welcome. So Exodus 20 is where we find the verse, and it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor any animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the Sabbath. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So I'm just going to pull out some really general what's from this, right? The first one is the word itself, Sabbath. It is um, a Hebrew word, Shabbat, and it basically means to rest, to cease from doing something, to stop, right? So when we say Sabbath from labor, right, we're resting from our labor. It makes sense. It is both a noun and a verb at times. So it means both a day of rest and it means the act of resting. And lastly, we read that it actually fits like kind of more in this verse than it does at first, or we first would think where it says, so we labor for six days and then we Sabbath on the seventh, right? We cease from labor on the seventh. So God wants us to have a day off. That's pretty easy. The second one goes a little deeper. We read in the verse that the Sabbath is meant to structure our time in a way that reflects God's own use of time when he works and rests. And what do I mean by that? The text says God worked to create all things in six days and then Sabbath on the seventh, right? And what that is getting at is the very first page of the Bible, for those of you who are new to church, which is the creation story, which is this beautiful account of how God created all things. And it said he worked and worked and worked for six days, and on the seventh, he rested. So at a bare minimum, what God is calling us to do is to use our time in a way that reminds us of him and reflects him, which is very common in the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? God calls us to reflect his attitude. God calls us to reflect his work. God calls us to reflect his character. So of course, he's going to call us to reflect his time also. Following me? I see some nodding. That's good. The third one gets a little deeper. We read in the text that the Sabbath is to be kept holy. And this is like one of those words that used to scare me when I came back to church. Holiness. It was usually on a sign. Someone was yelling at me. And, but it's actually like this beautiful religious word in the Bible. It means to be set apart entirely for a divine purpose. So like the temple, in the temple, the priests were set apart. They were made holy to work in the temple, the divine purposes of God, right? So in this context, we read that the Sabbath is meant to be something that has a divine purpose. It isn't just a day off. It has a quality to it, right? 
It has a reason for being that is set apart from our normal time. And then addendum to that, we have this other thing that a lot of people miss in this verse. There is a direction to the Sabbath. It says a Sabbath day to God. It isn't just something that we do for our own agenda. It is to God, it is defined by equality, and it is for a purpose. And that all seems pretty basic, but this is the stuff that I missed out on, right? Maybe you guys did too. So in summary, we have this day where we cease from labor, right? We have, we have a reflection of God's own cycle of work and rest. We have a quality defined by holiness to it. And we have this idea that is directed to God. And it seems super simple, and yet when you read the Old Testament, the Israelites get this wrong so many times. They're like, can we work on the Sabbath? No. Can we worship other gods on the Sabbath? No. And it happens over and over and over again. The Israelites repeatedly are called back to this commandment because they just keep failing to rest. And this is where we come in with the New Testament. So Jesus uh, walked on this earth in the first century, right? And when he comes into into the context of Israel at this time, the Israelites had actually gotten really strict about the Sabbath. They basically had started looking at the Sabbath as this list of like really ridiculous rules. It had stuff to do with like what is work and what isn't. So like, for example, if you carried over a certain amount of weight, it became work. But if it was under that weight, it was still rest. So people would do things to like get around that. One of the ones I heard was a rabbi argued that you can't light candles on the Sabbath. So you had to like light them early or otherwise you'd have darkness at night. And that's what they become, right? And it basically is the idea that like the Sabbath is all about checking off these right boxes on the day. And if we do that, God will be happy with us and we'll be fine. And Jesus comes into this environment and he does not congratulate them, which is shocking, I know. <laughs> so we find in Mark 2, Jesus starts talking about Sabbath observance. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain, which is work. The Pharisee said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what this gets at is this actually occurs a number of times across the stories of the Gospels, which are the stories about Jesus. And all of them follow the same pattern. So like in Luke, we have this example where this guy has like a crippled hand and Jesus heals it. In this one, it's people are hungry and Jesus is okay with them feeding themselves. And each time, it actually follows the same cycle. Jesus cares for a human need. A religious leader rebukes him, basically for caring for a need in a way that breaks one of those strict rules. And Jesus responds by asserting that they are missing the point somehow. He basically challenges them by saying, when we make the Sabbath thing a set of strict rules, we miss out on its original intention for being made. The man or the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is something that is for us. It is something that is meant to be transformative. It is something that is meant to be a blessing. 
It is for man. And we make it into these rules, what Jesus is saying. When we say that you can't care for human beings because you're honoring the rules, he's saying you're kind of missing the point. And this is crucial because what I want to get at is this is what we're kind of experiencing at some points today. Like us, the Israelites had lost that all-important why of the Sabbath. They had lost the narrative, the story that gives the meaning to it. And because of that, they had lost the purpose. And we can never do this with the Ten Commandments, especially. That's how it becomes a list of stale rules, because we forget why they were there. We forget the story that gives them meaning. You see, God in Exodus came to a nation of slaves and set them free before asking anything of them. And then he gave them the commandments, the law, as a way of being in relationship with those people. But more than that, in Exodus 19, he says, to a nation of slaves, I will make you a nation of holy people, a nation of priests, which is a big deal if you're a slave. Do you think you can be a priest? Right? And he's saying, I'm going to transform you with this, which makes a lot of sense because in this context, if we understand what it means to be a slave, you are told that you have no dignity. You are told that you have no value. You are told that you are not important. You are there to work. And for a God to step into that and say, no, you are a human being, which means you have inherent value, which means you have inherent meaning, which means you have a purpose outside of just the work you do because I created you. He is teaching them how to be a human being again. Are you guys following me? He says, human life is sacred. Thou shalt not murder. Human life is important. Do not objectify people. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, I want a relation with you. Do not have idols. God is showing these slaves how to be free and how to be human as he intended them to be. And suddenly we start to get the why of the Sabbath because it's God's way of using time to teach them how to be free again. Let me walk through that a little bit because we are so often today saying, how does a day off do that at all? That's because we lost the story. The first point I would make is when the Israelites were in Egypt, who structured their time? The Pharaoh. Who structures their time now? God. There is a new king in town. That is what they learn when someone else steps in and says, no, this is how your time will look. But there's a more important point. The new king is nothing like the old king. The old king saw them as tools. He sees them as beloved. The old king saw them as objects. He says, you're a human being. The old king said, what can you do for me? And he said, what can I do for you? And that's a powerful shift in who their king is. The second point I would make is that when we understand the Sabbath, it actually builds into their week a reflection on grace and gratitude. Let me walk through that. If you have seven days to do seven days of work, what do you do? You plan accordingly each day of the week. A guide comes along and says, you now have six days to get seven days of work done. What do you do? Do you say thank you? Probably not. You now have to restructure your time. You have to be intentional about it. You have to say, what am I going to get done on the first six days of the week so I can rest on the seventh? And every time you do that, you have to ask, why am I doing this? And the why of the Israelites is two super important points. The first one is because they were once slaves and now they are free. A God who is present and who cares about them stepped into their lives and freed them from slavery. That reflection is built into their week. As they are working really hard those first six, they're saying, 
why am I doing this? This is a real pain in the butt. They probably didn't say that. They speak Hebrew. But, but they say why, and the reason is because I am free. Gratitude, grace. The second point is actually probably more applicable to us today. How many of us would work every day of the week if we could? Yeah? It is a reminder built into their week that God might care about them more than they often care about themselves. He says, I will take care of you because sometimes we don't do it to ourselves. He prevents us from self-destruction because we would work every day knowing that science tells us that human beings will fall apart if they do that. Following me? And the third point is the most important for this transformation thing, and that is the Israelites were slaves in a very real and visceral way. They were there to do one thing and one thing only, and that was work for other people. Why do you exist? Where does your value come from? It is earned. It is about what you produce for me. That is the identity of a slave. You don't have inherent value. You only have value if you do what I want you to do. And for a God to come into them and say, no, you're going to rest? Rest is inherently impossible if you're trying to make someone into a slave because if you are resting on a day, you might have another purpose for existing than work. Right? Rest, Sabbath, when properly understood, is an act of rebellion against the false identity of slave and tool that idols and false kings try to give to human beings. We lose sight of that when we lose the story. It shouts to us, stop working for a moment. You have value outside of what you make for me. It says, stop, rest, take care of yourself, spend time with me because you matter outside of what you do. I created you and that is enough for you to be loved. And that's a radical shift from the identity of a slave. And at this point that I want to reflect on today with some self-honesty, because when we get into the conversations of slaves in Egypt and Pharaoh, we tell ourselves, this can't relate to us. And you couldn't be more wrong on this one, because there is a reason that this is both the most observed and the most forgotten commandment of the bunch. I have never been to a college campus when someone had a sign that said, repent and take a day off. Right? We have a lot of rules for the Sabbath. We don't have a lot of transformation from it. And it's because I believe that sometimes our society and our culture gives us an identity that cannot honor rest. Because let's be real, so often in American culture, we are told that we are our jobs. We are what we produce. We are grounded in work. I was asked, what do you want to do with your life before I was ever asked, who do you want to be? And when you read the Bible, that should be alarming because Jesus is a lot more interested in the second question than the first because who I am produces my work naturally. And if I get that wrong, it starts falling apart. Let me just ask you guys, who here has or currently are a workaholic? Who here has ever in their life put their vocation, their job, ahead of their family, their friends, their soul, God? Who here has ever looked at a job and said, save me, tell me, tell me who I am? My friends, I think we have an idol afoot. 
And this idol tells us that our time is for the purpose of money. And it has two commandments. That's efficiency and production. And if you don't follow them, you don't matter. Our worth, we are told, is earned far too often than it should be. And in that king's eyes, rest, time with God, wasting time to care, wasting time to care for our souls, it has no room in the equation because it's not making anything for anyone else. And maybe you guys uh, are just like, none of this applies to me. This guy's crazy. And he's boring, and I don't really want to listen to him anymore. But let me, let me just try this on for size, right? There have been these days in my life in which the days, the weeks, the months, the years have all followed a very similar pattern. And I'm going to walk through it. So the first day, the alarm goes off. I'm already tired. I get out of bed. I check my to-do list. I check my phone. And then I say good morning to my wife. I get out of bed. I scarf down breakfast. I get in my car. I barely say goodbye. And I start driving to work. I'm juggling, or guzzling coffee, and I'm yelling at everyone around me because they're in my way, and I have somewhere I need to be. And I get to work, and I start plugging away, and I need to plug away because if I don't, I won't get the promotion. And if I don't get the promotion, then I won't get more money. And if I don't get more money, then maybe I won't get those things that will make me happy. Out of debt, a new car, a new job, or a new home, stuff for my wife. She probably doesn't want me to say that that's something I'm railing against. Uh, we get back in our car, we start heading home, and I'm already tired. So when I get home, all we really do is recap our day at work. Oddly enough, we're still talking about work. And we finally just eat some junk food because we don't have enough time to, to actually cook. And we sit down in front of the TV and we stay up too late because we have no free time. It's a long time together. And we watch TV and we go to bed, right? Okay, so day two, I wake up and I am already feeling tired. I am already feeling a little bit scared. I am already thinking, what do I have to do today? And I wake up and then I check my to-do list and it reminds me, you should be scared. You are behind. You do need to do a lot today. So I just start running and then I say good morning to my wife because I'm already living two hours in the future. I get up, I eat my breakfast, it does nothing for me, I don't feel full, I don't feel happy about it, but that's because it's fuel, and it's supposed to help me work today, and that's its only purpose. So I eat, and I don't feel full, I get in my car, I drive, I feel like everyone is in my way. They're all out to get me, because I have somewhere that I need to be. Why? I don't know. I don't even really like my job that much. I just know it makes me money, and I need that money because I need it. So I go to the job and I plug away and I don't really try to ask these questions because I feel like they're probably too big for me right now. And I work and I work and I plug away and I plug away. And at the, after nine hours, I'm feeling exhausted. And I start to go home and I'm not feeling excited about going home because my wife and I have had having these small arguments about the fact that I'm not available. And she's right. And it's not that I don't want to have them. It's that I feel too tired to have one more thing on my plate. So instead, I come and I try to put on that blank slate just long enough for her not to ask anymore anyone following me. And we don't have the conversation, so I get to go home, I get to eat my food, there is silence, hallelujah, and I get to forget in front of a television for a couple hours. And I'm already too tired, but I stay up too late because I don't have any free time, and I go to bed. Day three, I wake up, I am dread. I am afraid. I am distant. I am not sure why I am here or why I do what I do. 
and then I say good morning to my wife. I get up. I feel like I'm not sure what I'm doing today, but I know that I have to do it. And if I don't do it now, something bad will happen. It's now or else. What? I don't know. But I get up and I do it anyway. And I get in my car and I am separate from the world because they're in my way. And I get to work and I plug and I plug and I plug and I plug and I don't like my job and I don't feel anything. And sometimes I ask myself why I exist, but I don't want to address those questions. So I keep working and I work and I work because I have to work because if I'm a, I have to be a man. And if I don't work, I'm not a man. And if I'm not a man, then maybe people will forget me. Maybe my wife only loves me because of what I do for her. So I have to produce and 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 I work and I work and an entire time I don't really know who I am. But I know that this makes me matter and it means that I am not expendable because I am a clog in the machine, right? So I get done with work, but I'm only focused on work and quite frankly, I am absent from everything else. I am absent from my friends. I am absent from my family. I am absent from my soul. And even people at work, I feel they're either an annoyance or, or they're, they're competition because they're either getting in the way of me being efficient with their small talk or they're going to take a piece of the pie that belongs to me. So I feel separate and alone all day. And I get in my car and I get ready to go home and I don't want to go home. And it's because I know my wife has had the exact same day and we're going to sit in front of each other and we're going to put on a face of contentment because we're just too scared to name what this might mean for us, that we don't know who we are, that we don't know why we matter, that we don't know if we exist at all if we don't do these things. So instead of talking about it, instead of being vulnerable, we tell lies and we sit down to eat and we eat and it doesn't fill us and we're not happy and we sit in front of a television because the television tells us a story that we like better than our own story. And if we could just get lost in another person, then maybe we wouldn't have to face the fact that we are so tired and I'm so tired and I wake up and I'm gonna have to do it over again and 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 over again. I am so tired. Aren't you tired? Am I the only one? We feel this way, I believe, because we've lost sight of what God wants us to be doing with things like the Sabbath. We've lost sight of the fact that they're supposed to tell us our identity, which is who we are, and it's grounded in whose we are. And hear me, I am not telling you, E3, that work is bad. God worked for six days and then rested. It is part of the cycle. We take part in his creation. When we are creative, when we take, put our hands in the dirt, we are called to work. We are also called to rest. It's part of our design. And what I'm actually saying is that when we confuse our work with our identity, we ground it in that and not the fact that we are beloved, the fact that we are valuable, we start to lose our own story. You see, our, our identity is given to us by grace. It is a gift. It is not something we make. It is not something that we earn. We do not earn our belovedness. It is spoken over us, not made by us. And the Sabbath, when we forget about it, we forget that it's not just a list of rules, but it's meant to do something for us. It's meant to remind us of who we are in the eyes of God 
when we lose that, how many of us have lost our identity in favor of a false one? God calls us to rest because without it, ironically, we try to make our own identity and we always end up, we always end up back in bondage, don't we? Most days, I don't feel very free. I feel like everything I do has to be earned. And that is why the Sabbath thing is so important. It forces us to stop. If God forces us to reflect on things that we would choose not to reflect on, which is weird because they're good, that we are loved, that we matter, that we don't need to earn that. He makes us stop and be grounded in those things because we so often don't want to do it ourselves. So we have to intentionally schedule our week around something that reminds us. And I thank him for that. And I want to close with the three questions I think the Israelites were asked by something like the Sabbath. The first one is, who is the king of our time? I don't want to honor the Sabbath most weeks because I have too much to do. Because I want to be the king of my time. Except for it's usually not me. It's the tape in the back of my head that says I have to earn my love. So I make God king. And I obey his demands <laughs> to rest. And I accept the invitation into an identity that he made for me which is far better than any of the ones I made myself. Who is the king of our time? Have you ever looked at your time and seen where it goes? Have you ever asked yourself what that might say? Does our second question, does our rest force us to reflect and grow in our capacity for gratitude and grace? You see, what I have come to realize is that if I rest my normal ways, which is Netflix, which is not a bad thing, but if I only rest with Netflix and football and the television, I don't change. I have to find rest that is outside of my normal use of time so that I can be stretched and grown in my capacity to be grateful. I don't want to become unplugged and spend time with my dog. I don't want to step away from my computer to be with my wife some days. But I know that when I do that, I grow in my ability to be grateful. Because when I'm out hiking, which I do every Sabbath for me, and I'm with my dog, and I'm not with my phone, I remember how much more important this is to me than the email I didn't answer this morning. And I become more grateful. And I become kinder. I become a little more loving. And the last question is where we're really ending on, is is our rest rebellious against the false identities that we have been given or that we have chosen to make for ourselves. There's a theologian that wrecked my world, I guess about a year ago, who asked me the question, who does your rest serve? And he says, this is the question that will get you to your idols the fastest. And what he said is there are two types of rest in this world and neither of them are bad. The first one sounds bad, it's called idolatrous rest. I promise it's not that bad. He says, this is the kind of rest that just equips us to keep doing the things that we normally do. I sit down and watch television because it helps me relax a little bit so I can go back to work the next day. It is a rest that only serves my production. And he's like, this isn't a bad thing. This is blowing off steam, right? The bad thing is when it's the only rest you ever get. 
Because the other rest he calls transformative rest. And this rest is always something that is fundamentally different than the rest of your time. It takes intentionality. It takes going beyond comfort. It usually takes doing something you normally don't do. He says it usually involves quiet, solitude, meditation, self-reflection, because how many of us get a lot of that from our culture? So we intentionally make time. Like I said, I go every week during the day. I put down my phone. I go into the woods with my dog, and it stretches me and it changes me. Sometimes we travel to new places to be challenged by different cultures, to be grown. Sometimes with our rest, every morning I meditate, not because I want to wake up an hour early to do it, but because I know when I meditate, I go out into the world as a kinder person. Is your rest rebellious? Does it tell you you're beloved? Does it tell you you matter? Does it stretch you and grow you? And I, like I said, I seek to implement this stuff daily, monthly, and annually for extended periods of time. Not because I want to, because I have to. Because I know if I don't, I get detached from that reality and everything I do becomes about what can I make for somebody else. And God gets lost in the equation. And when I commit to it, I find peace. And I grow in my capacity for peace. And I'm going to be honest, I start to feel a little bit more human. Human.